Hello and thank you for joining us. You're listening to Words of Welcome, the teaching ministry of Welcome Baptist Church, Heathfield. Hello. We're going to look at the final three verses of the book of Philippians. I wonder if you'd join with me as we read it. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Let's pray. Father, as we unpack these last few verses of this beautiful book, we pray that you would speak to us, that there might be treasure in these verses for us to hang on to, words that may transform us. In Jesus' name, amen. Have you ever wondered why we spent so much time preaching? why church life often revolves around the preached word. Jesus, of course, preached. Uh, We're told in Luke chapter 9, verse 6, that Jesus preached the gospel. We're told in Luke 20, verse 1, that he preached in the temple. We know that it was his habit to go into the synagogues and read and preach to the people, teaching them what God's word means. The disciples preached, the apostles preached, the church through history preached. Why do we do that? Because preaching changes lives. All this last week, we have spent time imbibing, drinking in the values of the world, the values of our friends, the values of our family. And what we need to do, what we have to do for our spiritual welfare is not conform our way of thinking to the world's or our family or our friends, but conform our thinking by the power of the Holy Spirit, to God's word. There is power in preaching, not because of any power inherent in me as a person or any other preacher, but because there is power in the word of God. And when it's faithfully preached, when it's faithfully applied, it has the power to transform the hearers. So preaching is one of the most important things that we take part in, one of the most important things that we listen to, that we set time aside for, to hear the word of God preached. It's a practice as a preacher that I take part in too. I listen to two or three, sometimes four or five sermons a week to feed my soul, to transform my mind so that my thinking and my acting, it is in line with scripture, that the word would dwell richly in me. 
Now, as we come to these three verses, verses that are very easy for us just to to read over very quickly and not let them touch the sides, I want us to, to dwell, to take time and see what they may say to us, that our lives may be transformed, that we would be renewed in our thinking and our praying and our living. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus, Paul says. This is the final imperative in this beautiful book. He ends the book by telling the church at Philippi to intentionally, actively greet every saint in Christ Jesus. This word Greet in the Greek is an incredibly rich word. It means to draw in, embrace, welcome. What a great word. Draw in every saint, embrace every saint. I like that a lot. Paul is not just saying, greet the ones you like, greet the ones you totally agree with, greet every saint, draw them in, embrace them, hold them, welcome them. One of the things I love about pews in churches, and I say that as a minister in a church that doesn't have pews, but one of the things I love about pews in churches is there is always room on a pew to squeeze in and have someone else sit with you. That's something of the idea of this word greet in the Greek. Draw them in, squeeze in the space in my pew for you. Come in. Be with me. Greet every saint. Sometimes that's costly for us. There is conflict in the church. Uh, There has always been conflict in the church. From the very beginning, there have been disagreements and conflict. Uh, Paul and Barnabas, Paul and Peter were conflicts. And yet the imperative, the command in these very first words are to greet every saint. It's not optional. Take time to greet one another. I love this word saint. Now, the word saint can be really misunderstood in in our culture. Our culture, the worldview around us, loves to promote certain individuals and say, well, they're really special. And we find that in in the Catholic tradition, there are people who are promoted and say they're very, very special people. So Saint Mother Teresa, Teresa of Calcutta, she has gone through the process of being made a saint. Now that's not something you find in the Bible. In the Bible, we are taught that Everyone who has been washed by Jesus, by his death on the cross, is a saint. They have been made holy. 
So if you believe in Jesus Christ, you are a saint. In fact, there is no superiority between anybody in the church with anybody else. All have been washed by the same Saviour. All are indwelt by the same Holy Spirit. There is not one Holy Spirit for people like Mother Teresa and one Holy Spirit for people like you. It is the same Holy Spirit that dwells in you that dwells in them. No one is perfect. Not one. All of us need the cleansing work of the Saviour in exactly the same way. All of us stand in exactly the same need to have our sins washed away and, and, and forgiven, every one of us. So there are new, no super Christians and the rest of us, just super Christians. That's you. Greet all the saints in Christ Jesus. And of course, that's the key phrase, isn't it? In Christ Jesus. Those who have declared him their, their Lord and Savior. Those who say my life is in you. My hope is in you. Everything I have is in you. As the psalmist says, apart from you, I have no good thing. Psalm 16 or Psalm 87. All my springs, all my fountains are in you. I am in you. So the final imperative is greet every saint in Christ Jesus. Paul goes on, the brothers who are with me greet you. And so here we have that word again, this word that has a has to do with embracing and drawing in. And he says, the brothers with me in prison, those who come to me, those that I meet with, they also embrace you. They salute you. They welcome you. They greet you. They hold you near. I love that. There's this sense that, that Paul wants the church in Philippi to know that they are not alone. Do you ever feel alone? Do you ever feel that you are out on a limb? It is, a, it is an often felt experience for Christians to feel they are the only one. Elijah felt he was the only one. He said, there's no one left but me. Have you ever thought that? God spoke to Elijah and said, no, there are thousands of others. You are not alone. In a world that often disregards God, in a world that often disregards his ways and his love and his mercy, his care, his father-like love, in that kind of world, we often feel we're the only ones. Paul says to the church in Philippi, and to you, you are not alone. The brothers here embrace you. Now this word brothers, this Greek word, 
adelphos, which we translate brothers, is about male and female, adelphos. It, it is from the word, the Greek word, womb, delphos, womb. I find that incredible. The idea here is that the brothers and sisters are womb fellows with you. This just adds to the understanding, to the Philippi church, you are not alone. And to you, you are not alone. Paul goes on, all the saints greet you. All the saints, everyone in the church of Christ, Paul says to the people at Philippi, greet you, embrace you, draw you near. How beautiful is that? Paul is saying, just like Jesus did to the woman that anointed him with oil, wherever the gospel is preached, you shall be mentioned, that this church shall be mentioned. You are not alone. It's easy to think, isn't it, that uh, we are alone, that we are overlooked. We might be overlooked in, in our churches. We may be overlooked in the world. But Paul says here, you are not overlooked, certainly by God. You are known by him and you are loved by him. All the saints greet you. And then he says this word, uh, which is really interesting, especially, especially those of Caesar's household, especially those of Caesar's household. John Calvin says this, a thing well deserving to be noticed, for it is no common evidence of divine mercy that the gospel had made its way into that sink of all crime and iniquity, Caesar's household. At the time this letter was written, it was probably Nero who was Caesar. A terrible, awful, evil man. And yet the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ had penetrated into his very courts, into the maidservants and the manservants, into people in the guard and the Praetorian guard. They had heard of Jesus and had responded to the good news. I love that. That gives me great hope. Whatever situations we have, whatever family darkness there is, it is not immune to the power of God reaching in and bringing transformation. I love it too that it's not Caesar himself but it's the lowly people. In fact, that's the way that Jesus would often work. He, he would come to the poor and the overlooked and the marginalized, the servants. It was to them that he would come, to the hurting, the broken, the sin sick, the prostitute, the tax collector, the avoided, the leper. It was to them that Jesus would come. 
Keith Green says in a song, the greatest people in the world just wouldn't come. And so I've just had to invite the poor. Keith Green is singing about the, the parable that Jesus tells of invitations to this wedding banquet, going to all the greatest, the richest, the best in the land. And they're all saying, no, I'm too busy. I've just bought a new plot of land. I've got this going on. I can't come. And so the king says, go into the highways and the byways. Go to the poor. Go to those that have nothing. And of course, they come. They receive the invitation of the king. There's something of that going on here. The court of Caesar, the lowest people in the court have heard the good news and responded. And so Paul says, especially, especially Caesar's household, you are not alone. Verse 23, final verse of the book of Philippians says this, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. I find grace one of the hardest words in the Bible to pin down. We're talking about the sheer undeserved love of God, the sheer undeserved mercy, generosity, kindness, compassion of God, his patience, his long suffering with us. Those are the, the kind of ideas we're talking about when we think about grace. The first definition I heard of grace that really made sense to me was an anacronym that used the letters G-R-A-C-E to say God's riches at Christ's expense. That God's love for you, God's mercy for you, God's love poured out over you is because Jesus walked as a man and died the death you deserved, paying the price, bearing the punishment that was ours on the cross and rose again. That salvation really was by works, just not yours, but Jesus's. That Jesus's work on the cross saved you. I love that. We couldn't become like him. We couldn't become righteous like him. We couldn't become keepers of the law like him. We couldn't become good like him. So he became like us to rescue us. Grace. John 15 verse 9. Jesus is speaking to the disciples and he says, just as the Father has loved me, I love you. Again, it's easy to pass over those words, read them very quickly, but just take a moment or two. Just as the Father has loved me, 
just as the Father has loved me. Think about that. Before there was a single mountain or stream or cloud, the Father loved the Son. Before there was an angel or a star or a sun, the Father loved the Son. For all eternity stretching back, the Father loved the Son with a love that was so exquisite, expansive, comprehensive, great, certain, steadfast. With such a love that the Father has for the Son. He loves you. That's grace. That's grace. Or, or, or John 16 verse 27, Jesus again speaking, he, he says the Father himself loves you. The Father who, who flung stars into space. The Father who said, let there be light. And there was light. The Father himself loves you. You are not alone. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Paul doesn't want the folks at Philippi to just know about God, to have an intellectual assent about God. He wants every fibre of their existence, their very spirit, the very breath of life within them. The word is pneuma, breath, air, the, the very substance of their being, their heart, if you like, their soul, their deepest place of understanding and meaning. He wants that place to know the grace of God. And I want you to know that too. You can read about it in books, you can read about it in the Bible, but there comes a moment when to know the sheer undeserved favor of God in our souls, we just have to come and surrender ourselves to him and invite his Holy Spirit to show us his affection and his love. Romans 5 tells us that our hope never disappoints us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the power of the Holy Spirit. And if you'd allow me, I'd like to finish our studies in Philippians by praying for you. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for this book and all that is meant to us. 
The teaching in this book has been life-changing. But we come to this final verse that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ would be with our spirit. And Father, we say that is what we want more than anything, to know your grace in our spirit, to know your love, your mercy, your favour, your joy, your compassion. In the very seat of our being, So, Father, would you pour your Holy Spirit upon us? We surrender to you. We surrender our lives afresh to you. We believe, Lord Jesus Christ, you became a man to redeem men. We believe that you are God incarnate, Emmanuel, God with us. We believe you lived a sinless life. We believe you were executed in a place with sinners and given a grave that was not your own. We believe that on the cross, you took all our sin and all our punishment. We believe that you rose again, conquering death, sin and Satan. And we believe, O Lord, that you died for me. Lord, pour your Holy Spirit upon us that we may know this to the very core of our being. In the precious name of Jesus, amen. Thank you for listening to Words of Welcome. For new episodes and more, please visit welcomebaptistchurch.uk.